This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Turn around, what's that behind you? It's episode 447 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Talking about thrillers this week. If you haven't noticed, Rome's got this really cool channel slash playlist called Adrenaline that puts together a bunch of the great thriller shows that are on the Realm Network. And we've got a Realm Roundtable this week to talk about Adrenaline and those thrillers. Sam Bush, the creator of Overleaper, one of the good big shows that's on that list, is going to be joining me along with Neil Helligers, the the narrator of the Adrenaline channel slash playlist. And then, of course, Diana Foe will represent Realm. She's a producer. Just, she does another so many other great things. For realm, so let's get. To, we're going to get together. We're going to talk about some of these thrillers, not just Overleaper, but just the genre in general. If you if you heard the Noir round Realm round table that we did, that was a lot of fun. Now we're just going to be doing that with thrillers, so that's something to look forward to. Also, going to be giving you my review of Willow. The first two episodes have dropped, so we'll maybe do a few spoilers on that. Also, going to talk about Darby and the Dead, which is now streaming on Hulu that was a bit more interesting than I expected. James Gunn dropped some interesting DC Universe news. I'll talk about that. So many big trailers that dropped this week, like Guardians of the Galaxy, the Indiana Jones trailers out, Transformers, Rise of the Beast, and so many more. So, hey, let's get to that roundtable, though, shall we? We'll join the Realm Adrenaline Roundtable next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Josh Gates from Expedition Unknown, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So if you're ready for your shot of adrenaline, you've obviously been listening to Realm's Adrenaline Podcast. It's like jumping out of an airplane with a 
thermos full of Mountain Dew being chased by an alien. It's just been an amazing ride if you've been listening, listening to these shows. So I thought it'd be a good chance to do another Realm Roundtable for some of the creators and, and one of the voices that you'll hear on Adrenaline. So first, I want to introduce the creator of Overleaper, one of the great shows that is on the Adrenaline. It is Sam Bush. Sam, say hello. Hi. Yeah, great to talk to everybody. We've also got Diane Foe, who is a producer at Realm, producer on Overleaper, and she just says so many amazing things at Realm just in general. Diane, say hello. Hi. Really excited to be here. And this is a name you might recognize. He is the narrator on Adrenaline. He's also a voice, voice actor, which you've heard on many, many very, very cool things, TV, video games, also other podcasts as well. It's Neil Helliger's Neil, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. So, guys, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I love a good thriller. To me, a good thriller, though, kind of it's one of those shows that makes you stop scrolling. You put your phone down, you sink yourself into the world of that show. So let's just go around to what is it would you say is the key to being able to accomplish that? Neil, we'll start with you. Well, it, it's funny because uh, when we started doing the Adrenaline podcast and we have all sorts of different kinds of thriller, but obviously they're all thrillers, but there, there are many different flavors of it. And we started with the triangle. And so when we were trying to decide what the host's voice should be and what kind of like topicality, what kind of we should do, we kept falling into conspiracy secret organization kind of stuff because that's the world of the triangle you know obviously the bermuda triangle kind of being very rooted in that but as we you know then but taking a step back and looking at all these other ones like like overleaper in particular too we realized that it's it's so much more than that like that thriller can contain so much in terms of topics and themes and tone and all those kinds of different things. But what they had in common was that, they, yeah, that it has that grab you quality of it, that it, it can be contemplative. It can be as deep as any other kind of literature or other kind of material, but that it has that forward motion that propels you kind of through it that, you know, like the roller coaster of it, you know, uh, that has dips and turns and all sorts of and slow parts and fast parts, but it, but that it always is kind of driving you forward. And so, you know, we adjusted our tone to kind of like we try to on each show, I kind of try to adjust what we're talking about. So for Overleaper, uh, you know, these episodes are like my hosting bits are being crafted. It's I'm, I'm going on a riff, Sam, all about like the like what causes the, the the shared memory effect and things like that, too. And just kind of trying to kind of like buttress what the what the show is about um, to highlight some of the things that are are unique about it, um, as well as come to thrillers that people love and people because, you know, people are so the thrillers, you know, are 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 so many people you ask like what kind of thing you listen to they say thriller and even if that means so much like i'm saying it can contain a lot but it, it's it's what brings them back to it at time and time and again so go ahead sam run with that first of all i, I love the audio effects and and everything about overleaper uh there's just a lot of elements that really made your um you know your pulse go and and i think a, a thriller is really something that that thrills you it's kind of a, a lame definition but uh you know, some some other genres have a uh, more buttoned up uh, definition, but really, I think that 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 movement propelling you forward is exactly right. Um, and uh, you know, there can be a ticking clock, or they can, there can be you know big elements of action adventure. Sometimes with like a psychological thriller, it's very internal. With an adventure thriller, more like Overleaper, it's it's pretty external, or sometimes both. What I like about the thriller genre just generally is that it's it's very broad. In fact, I would say it's kind of it, it opens its doors to all sorts of things. You could have a, a fantasy thriller or you could have, uh, you know, uh, amateur sleuth mystery, but that also has elements of a thriller or you could have a sci fi thriller or 
almost any genre, a Western thriller. Uh, there, there, a lot of genres are are open to kind of being put in the thriller category because of because of what thrillers do, and they, you know, they get your blood pumping. Diane, you're part of a lot of these shows. What do you think? Yeah, so I definitely agree with like Neil and Sam and saying that you know it's all about that propulsive quality, but then you got to examine what makes that propulsion happen. And I think what is key to like any you know brand of thriller out there is that there's an escalation of stakes, and there's a different way that you know whether it's like plot wise or whether it's storytelling structure wise or character stakes, uh, you continually feel that pressure that both that pressure both that you know ambition to see it through and that level of emotional investment to see that yes I am continually engaged I can't keep you know my eyes off the screen I can't press a pause button you know on this podcast I just have to know more because I feel so emotionally invested in the outcome Absolutely. I would totally agree with all those points. I feel like the, 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 the degree of difficulty, though, is especially high, especially in the genre, because I feel like the writing and the casting both have to really vibe together, especially in the audio space. So how important is it to you, both Sam and Diana, for that? And Neil, when we get to you, I want you to talk about the actor's perspective, kind of knowing what project works best for you in that particular in that particular way. So, Sam, let's start with you on that. I mean the the writing of a thriller has to be really tight. And I think that that's really true, doubly true um, when it's in an audio format. People can skim if they get bored in a book. When it's a movie, there are uh, other elements besides writing um, like cinematography that can really carry things and those don't exist in an audio format. And so, yeah, I mean, Realm just did a fantastic job with Overleaper. Uh, and I, I do think it's a propulsive thriller, um, you know, in part because of what I did, but in much larger part because of all the production and post-production and acting and just full cast killer job that that Realm and that studio did. Diana, how important is it to just nail both of those elements, which I do think you guys did with Overleaper? Yeah, you know, it's extremely important. And what I also think is super key is when you're thinking about what makes a thriller go. It's all about one, having the setup. It doesn't take that long to let the audience know what this is going to be about. Having uh, solid anchors of investment. So even if you're just introducing a character and you don't really know them, you know, from the beginning, you definitely know what they want. You definitely know how they could get it. And you definitely know what is stopping them from getting it. And having that understanding of motivation and understanding of what the challenges are right up front uh, makes a really compelling setup for a thriller. And Neil, for you, do you just kind of know going in when you're preparing for something like this, you're like, okay, they, they, they've got something here. This is definitely something I want to be a part of. Oh, well, I'm, whenever I'm, you know, whenever I, whenever I uh, voice actor narrate, you know, I do a prep read beforehand because that's what, that's what you do. That's, that's, that's the, that, that, it's necessary. So you know where the story is going. So you know how to build it in the right sections and when to set up a reveal and things like that. When I forget that I'm doing a prep read, I'm like, oh, it's got me. You know, when I feel like, wait, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down, go back a little bit. You have to be sure to be doing your work here, actually, not just simply kind of enjoying the story, but, um, and, and it'll vary greatly depending on the, the format it takes, like Overleaper 
for the, for those voice actors, you know, it's written as it's all it's all dialogue, right? It's written as a script, so they can be, you know, it, it's one that's a different kind of job to be in the moment and reacting to things that are happening because that's that's sort of true to the to the life of it. For other kinds of um, single voice actor thrillers, like The Triangle, for example, what I always kind of try to bring to that, and what's what I do for for audiobook narration as well, too, obviously very similar, is to to is to try to capture that moment that those moment to moment discoveries. It's not reading it like this is a thing that happened to these people last week, especially if it's just a a chapter or sorry, a paragraph of someone when something is revealed. I read it as if it's something that's being revealed to them in that moment. So I'm trying to capture that thrill in the emotional point of view I put into the character and in that moment of discovery so that it doesn't read passive, so that it reads act as active as possible for the listener to kind of keep that sort of forward proportion kind of going, you know. And I know it's good when, you know, when the work feels uh when the work feels easy, when it feels when it just kind of flows, you know, that's a function of good writing, you know, but it's also uh, how much how much is there to hang one's hat on in terms of that story as well, too, is is important. And the more there is, the the, the more that flow happens and the, the kind of the quicker it goes sometimes and the more fun it is, for sure. And Neil is a part of the triangle. If you haven't checked that on, on the adrenaline, make sure you're doing that, not just the narrative, but a part of the triangle as well. But since we're talking, we've since we've got the creator of Overleaper, we can might as well dig into Overleaper just a little bit. So, Sam, I'm a sucker. For a good multiverse story, man. So talk about how you kind of came up with the concept for the show and, and going with that angle. Yeah, I mean, it it did it did start as a multiverse story and it is a multiverse story. And that's a big part of what the, the story is about. I think that what really drew me to the concept of how a multiverse story can be part of a thriller is reading Dark Matter by Blake Crouch uh, many years ago when it came out. Uh, and, and that's really, I think, one of the, the big starts for multiverse fiction in general. And you see it now, of course, with with movies, but everyone who is writing, you know, Doctor Strange and everything everywhere all at once, that's those are written years ago and uh, and have all kind of come out at the same time. And uh, and the multiverse is it's kind of like time travel uh, in that it makes for a good concept. Um, but but what you do with it after that is, is of course, really important. And with Overleaper, um, like Diana mentioned, stakes are very important. Uh, it's not really just a, a, a multiverse story. It's really uh, sort of a, a military thriller. It's sort of a, the story of, of a woman and, and her daughter. That's probably the, the core of the story when you get to stakes. And, um, and it, it exists in a, in a universe where multiverse hopping is, is possible. And, and interesting um, and deadly. And deadly. <laughs> yeah. yeah those can, we spoil? Wait, can we spoil? There's... I'm sorry. Before I say anything, are we allowed to go with the idea that people are listening? I know we haven't, all the episodes aren't up yet, but I know, I know the ending. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. I also know the ending. I, I, <laughs> I, I well, geez, I, I, I hope so. I hope you know the ending. That would, that would be nice. I mean, if the, if you want if you want to do any spoilers, consider this your spoiler alert. Then, for anybody that's listening that doesn't want any of Overleaper to be spoiled for them, go ahead. Now. Well, I go think I, I, I think we've seen a lot of multiverse examples where it ends up being deadly for most people. So I don't think I spoiled anything in particular in that particular case. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think you did either. No, 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 okay. no question about that. Okay, but Neil, let, let's continue with you for a minute because it seemed like you were having just a little bit more fun with Overleaper, and I, I'm not dissing any of the other shows, but as as I'm listening, like, he's he's really having fun with this. So, did you kind of get drawn in? as a fan after becoming a part of this, 
and 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 thinking to yourself, hey, you know, how can I get involved in maybe a second season or something at, at some point? Because well, I, I think well, that I know some of the, well. I know some of the actors in that cast, and they all do great. And Thora Birch does a fantastic job in it, of course. Uh, well, I, I just like you know, like Sam was saying too, like I, I like with Dark Matter and other multiversal uh, materials. I've, I've always been just a huge fan of that. There, there was like in a former life, I started to develop a web series that involved that that had um, a similar kind of multi universal thing going. Main character in two different worlds until. It's someone pointed out fringe to me i'm like oh well okay fine thanks there you go you know but that the the science of that has always been fascinating that about the how uh like sam like you said like time travel and parallel universes it's 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 really the same thing like it's the the math is the same right the quantum reality of it is is the same as well too and so that's something i've always been jazzed on so yeah right when when this came along it's like oh you know it, it's, it provides an opportunity for me as host to carry that enthusiasm is by and, and adding my own sprinkle of dorkdom to the whole thing by getting into those those factors as well too but and and as they you know as the episodes come along and more of these kind of things came up like them like like uh like the memory sharing as an example of 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 uh, quantum resonance you know that's how i that's 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 my explanation i throw out for it i don't know if that's what was the, the thought behind that at all but um but yeah that's that's why i get jazzed about that stuff too it's 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 why this it's why being host of adrenaline is a fun job because like here's another great show I'm like fantastic and i listen you know and uh and and comment on it and, and try to set it up and, and kind of contextualize it as much as possible to um to have people enjoy it as much as possible so you always know it's fun when the narrator's throwing out his own theories just in the middle of it. I thought that I thought that was really great. I thought when when you were throwing that stuff in there, that was excellent. But Diana, he mentioned Thor Birch. I think we've definitely got to talk to her. Talk about her because I think she knocks out of the park. So how impressive is it for you as a producer to kind of hear her bring such different vibes to both sides of this role? Because you can just hear her make that switch. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's Thora Birch does an, an absolutely incredible job with the show. And I think part of it is just her own talent, her own thought process that she brought to the characters. I just remember like casually, like, you know, in hearing it, the, the recording sessions, not just the energy, but the tone and, and what really actors can bring to an audio production that is different from visuals is how to embody physicality in your voice and it's also just fascinating because I have you know uh heard like stories about actors like in the studio like actually making like physical gesturing and doing like exercises like running around the studio to keep the energy up they're like all of these little tricks of the trade to make sure that their voice is at the right energy level at the right you know sense of like character moment that they need to present into the mic um and I think it's truly astounding what she does. One of the things that, you know, Sam and I had always like discussed, like what does, what is the difference, you know, but, you know, between the two Audrey's that we encounter, uh, you know, and I know like Sam, you mentioned the very beginning that the, the, the overleaper Audrey has a very rough, gritty voice because she's suffered a lot, you know, when we, when we meet her and explain it to me as like, it's like a smoker's voice, but definitely when Thor like embodies the overleaper, there's so much more going on. There's like this whole backstory that will be revealed to the audience and just seeing that emotional weight just be placed into the character is truly astounding. So let's talk about doppelgangers for a second, because I feel like my doppelganger would be a real troublemaker. I think it'd be like an evil genius type or something like that. So I, I want to pose it to all of you. Let's go around the room. What do you think your doppelganger? would be like neil 
I mostly see as a doppelganger as a way of like dividing up responsibility so I can be more productive, but the, the, the trick would be balancing out such that I, mean, I feel like that's been done. Right. And uh, like, Oh, easy. You know um, that person will do all the work or all the hard work. But like, the thing is I want to do that work too. And also if I want to avoid a situation where that doppelganger gets becomes disgruntled and then wants to take over my life, I have to I have to balance things out with the recreation as well too, you know. And then it would you know, so I, I mean I would I, you know the, the what's what's it? It's um oh yeah, it's a bender from Futurama, how the 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 evil double has the little goatee, right? I mean, I already have a beard. Um I guess I could shave part of it to kind of keep that distinction, but maybe I don't want to. Maybe we need to be completely indistinguishable in order to pass, right? Um, but I, I would the one thing I know for sure is that I've learned, I've learned enough. I've seen enough of these things to know, to keep it to two. If you get beyond two, then it's, you're asking for a whole other mess of like three is a crowd and four is too many doubles. So it, it, should that science become available or should I be able to get to like the next over uh, quantum double of myself? You know, uh, we'll try to keep things as simple as possible and, and, and try to get as much work done as possible until it all inevitably collapses. He's either really thought this through. Or he's <laughs> listening to way too much orphan black on realm. I'm just saying it's got to, it's one all of the, the two or both. All the above. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all the above. Diana, what, what about you? I can, I can only imagine what your doppelganger would be like. You know, actually when I was younger, um, I, I, I studied Russian in college. I was actually an English Russian double major and I was actively considering, you know, applying to get my master's. And at the time, I think it's still happening, you know, Russia and other critical political areas had uh, the opportunity to be sponsored by the U.S. government to get like any, any advanced degree. But in exchange, you'd have to work for a government agency for three years. So I always tell people that, you know, in an alternate universe, I'm either a tenured professor or a terrible spy. Yeah, secretly working for the Russian government, probably not a great idea. So I think you, you made the right call there. I lucked anymore. out. <laughs> yeah, it's not a secret anymore. So, so look look at Sam. Look look at Sam. He's all innocent. He's like, oh, my doppelganger would be just a cool guy. Okay, Sam, let's go. What, what would yours be like? Well, actually, I have a doppelganger. I'm a, I'm an identical twin. So uh, oh, I think that's, that's what that. uh, maybe drew me a little bit to, to writing this story. I guess probably besides that, I think my my doppelganger would would probably do a better job of everything that I do. Uh, that's what I that's what I like to imagine. And I'd probably have this doppelganger also fill in for me and have uh, have them actually do my work sometimes. But no, I, I do. Uh, he's currently on vacation in Mexico. So well, probably probably a, 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 a mediocre spy is, is a good is a good guess. Too. He's going to get he's closer to this than any of us will ever come. You realize that, right? So that, that's mm -hmm. I, I could now I could totally see why you were able to make it so realistic. But I, I think, Sam, you touched on this earlier, too. The unsung hero of Thriller podcast to me is audio production. I think Diana mentioned this a little bit, too, because you don't get that visual representation of the action. You don't get the explosions. You don't get the, the people running for their lives like Tom Cruise and things like that. So, Sam, I want to start with you on this one. How important do you believe it is to kind of find just the right sounds and just the right moments to keep that suspense pushing in each episode? Well, you know, as a as a listener and not really much more when it comes to the audio side of things, I think that that having audio that you it's like makeup, you know, you don't you you don't want to see it, you don't want to realize it's there, but without it, it you know, it can make a big difference. And so yeah, at Realm, they do a great job having a bunch of different voice actors with uh, a lot of different talents and sounding voices is important, but like Fred, I think uh, was the one who did the all the sound effects for Realm and uh, just I mean, he's 
multiple award-winning audio designer is, is uh, I guess it's, it's very important to, it's, it's, it's crucial. It's the cinematography of, of audio. Yeah. I can also add that when, you know, kind of like painting that movie in your mind through your ears, what is, it's very key is also understanding how much you can portray through sound design to take place of a visual, but also leave enough context for the listener to apply their own little spin to it. You know, for example, if you are, let's say you're in like, you're setting up a bar scene. It's not like, you know, unless the characters or an outside narrator is describing the interior of the bar, you might hear like clinking glasses or people like talking in the background or something like that. But it's totally up to the listener, like how they envision the bar to actually look like. And I think what's really key is being able to find that intersection between the right sound design, the right descriptions in the script that the writer provides to create enough of a picture that we can present to an audience and then they take it from there. Just to jump in on that, Diana, that's really not so different from writing, right? So if Mm -hmm. you're writing a bar scene, you don't say, and all the doilies on on the bar looked like this, and this is the poster that they had, and this is what the carpet looked like. I mean, we've been in bars before. Um, it's really, you know, you set the scene as quickly as possible. You don't write paragraphs about what the bar is like. And I, I think that that's probably very similar and it's up to the imagination of the of the listener or reader. And that's the, that's the right amount of detail. And it's really cool that Realm does that so well. It's not a, I mean, and to sort of pile on top of that, it's not a dissimilar thing. I, I mean, from my perspective as a voice actor and narrator about, I, I want to, I, I don't, I've been in productions, obviously, that or I've been taking part in productions that do that full production design. And um, from the ones that I've heard, it is always about knowing what is the right amount to put in that's enough to set the environment to kind of augment what's happening, uh, but not do too much, not to be too, too, almost too literal in a way. It's the same function as the amount of emotional point of view I want to put into something enough that it be can be identified. But you you want that listener to you want you want to meet them halfway. Way. You want to give them enough to be clear about what's happening and the stakes and all those different things, but you want to engage the, their imagination, their their own creativity to sort of fill in the blanks or to augment things you haven't even thought of, but to, yeah, to have their minds along for the journey as well, too, and that makes them more invested, more involved, and makes for a better overall listening experience. And and that can be a tricky balance to to, to find. Um, and sometimes it's a little trial and error, but that that's that's always the goal, you know, because it's it's for them. I mean, it's I think it's this is a theatrical principle that I'm, you know, it's you um you do, you're doing this for the audience. You're doing this for them. To, that's the whole reason behind the whole thing. And so if if you're handing it to them all in a platter, that's less interesting as opposed to drawing them in and making them a participant. Absolutely. And, and Realm has evolved so, so well with doing that in, in, in the shows that they've produced here, here lately, especially lately. I mean, they've always been pretty good at it, but lately, very, very good at it. Sam, you touched on a little bit of this earlier about how much you can do in the thriller space. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit because there's almost endless possibilities. I mean, you've got, like you said, political thrillers, sci-fi and so on. But do any of you feel like there's any sort of those subgenres or story types that are currently underrepresented in this in the thriller space that maybe there has some intriguing possibilities for? 
I'll I'll point to a subgenre that I work a lot in as a narrator. That it's not I don't think it's not absent from some stuff that's well done and realm done, and it's not absent from the larger social arena anyway. The, the genre is usually called gamelit or lit RPG, which is technically a subgenre of gamelit. It's a a whole subgenre of sci it's mostly it's basically a sci-fi fantasy subgenre where for one reason or another the mechanics or rules of that world is are are rpg or video game rules and there can be a million reasons why it could be an isekai portal thing it could be a vr thing it could be the world has been taken over by aliens who impose a system on everyone um, there's a million different reasons why it could be the case it has a listener and a readership that's a lot like romance like they're voracious about it and they just they just do that genre so uh, and it's slowly finding its way out i mean ready player one is sort of the closest or actually free guy is the is the, is the most popular kind of larger media example i can point to of it, it, it means that the character as they, the main character as they go along have to make choices about not just what they're doing in terms of the story but also their build in rpg terms about if they how, how they want to upgrade themselves how they want to train themselves what class or what abilities or skills they want to develop they want to they, they want to put more uh points into uh constitution or or into stealth or what have you you know and, and like we're saying, like it, 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 that falls very much into the thriller context with a sci-fi or a fantasy kind of bent to it as well, too. That it's that progression or cultivation cycle that the, a lot of these stories go through, you know, is is widely applicable and very relatable at the at the same time as well, too. And so I, I, it's sort of inevitable because it's been growing a lot in in various corners of of uh, literature and and audio, you know, and could could only go farther. So. Yeah, I agree. You know, when you, as soon as you mentioned the RPG, I thought like it makes total sense, uh, but you also see it in the audio space with the proliferation of, you know, tabletop role-playing podcasts and stuff yeah. like Critical Role totally. uh, and, the, and the Adventure Zone. It's just uh, a really great medium, partly because, you know, there are, you know, kind of like set rules in which you can like pile on those stakes. Also, especially for like subgenres that are rooted in like any sort of like D&D or tabletop system or a larger media. Because I've also first heard about lit RPG through anime and manga, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was such a popular subgenre in that format. And, yeah, and I Sword think... Sword Art Online is essentially a very popular Netflix-based uh, yeah, That's anime a good example. Is, yeah. Is, is lit RPG, yeah. Or yeah, RPG. exactly. And, and what I find really engaging about that is... You know, it all draws from this common pool of tropes. And I think in general, what will happen with like thrillers is that we know the thriller is this basic story engine that makes things go. And now we'll just apply all these different like aesthetic styles or tropes that we love to make it go. And for me, I would love to see more thrillers that just in general, you know, take place in very like complicated political worlds for me. Like, and that's why that's what really drew me to Overleaper because I just love like the politics behind like the spy game. But uh, I would just in general love to see kind of like whether it's courtly political drama or whether it's like contemporary, like real world, you know, politics or something like ridiculously low stakes as you know the complications of of running a coffee shop like any sort of like or office politics I would love to see kind of a thriller set in those spaces and Sam I'm sure as a writer you you go you go into these things and these things thinking okay I want to do something that hasn't been done before right when you're writing you have to be careful to do something that hasn't been done before but also to appeal to an audience that actually exists and with thrillers in 
genres have gone up and down over over decades, over long time periods and over short time periods. And I mean, in the 40s, war thrillers were huge and action thrillers were huge in the 90s. And I think Overleaper is something of an action thriller. Horror had its maybe its heyday in the 80s. And, you know, you see it you see it going up and down. And so as a writer, that's the that's the problem, of course, is that is that you don't want to write something where there's there's no readership. But I think that one of the cool things that, that you can do as a you know company the size of realms with the resources that they have is they can kind of make a genre a little bit bigger just by by getting into it. So maybe it's a maybe it's you know true crime is really huge right now, or at least it was a couple of years ago, and maybe they can do a, a true crime, but but take a spin on it that's not like the spins that are being done right now, and maybe combine it with another genre. And I mean, you could think of a, a thousand different ideas. You could have a true crime detective, but it's a, you know, a fantasy world or this lit RPG genre, which I know nothing about, or, you know, so I think that that's, that's one of the beauties of, you know, storytelling and genre fiction is that you can combine genres, you can mash them up. Westerns were huge in what, in like the seventies and before the sixties. And, you know, may, maybe Western combined with something that's popular now, a psychological thriller, you know, that's where you can make some magic happen. Oh, the endless possibilities as the wheels turn in all of our minds. I can't wait to see what you guys are going to cook up with this. That could be a whole other show, by the way, if we were going to if we we're going to do that. I feel like that's definitely been done because I want to make sure you're spending a lot of time listening to all the amazing podcasts on Adrenaline, not just Overleaper, but there's so many other great ones. It's all Memory Lane, The Triangle, so many others that are part of that as well. And you'll hear, hear Neil Helligers. He is the narrator of that make sure you're listening to him as well and there's he does so much other great work in so many other spaces also sam bush who's the creator of overleaper hopefully we're going to get more overleaper and you know, maybe that's a story that could go on for a while i really really hope that's the case and don't forget realm producer and so much she, again she has so many great things at realm i don't have time to list them all but diana diana foe does amazing things thank you all so much for joining me and may you have a very thrilling holiday season great thanks for having us yeah, and having me us. also a very thrilling holiday season <laughs> and a thrilling new year the future is definitely merry and bright for the thriller genre on rail make sure you check out all of those great shows and again thanks to the panel for joining me to talk about it up next gonna hit the reviews as a matter of fact we're gonna start off with a big one it's willow we'll talk about the first two episodes of the new disney plus series next on the down and nerdy podcast Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. This is comic book writer Elliot Rahal and Donna Kate, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Another childhood favorite has come to life. Yes, Willow is now streaming on Disney Plus. First couple of episodes have dropped, so I want to give a review of this, and I might drop a few spoilers in here, so just be aware of that. But you should know by now, this is 20 years after the vanquishing of the Wicked Queen Bavmorda. And now Willow's back and leading a young group on a rescue mission. And I think we could say what the rescue mission is, right? I, I think that we can certainly do that. It's it's Sorsha's son that gets taken. And we don't really know the reason why. 
at, at this particular point in time that he's been taken, but now his sister Kit is going after him along with a group of others, and there's sort of this, this band that Sorsha put together to go after her son. And she basically says, yeah, you need to go see Willow first because I think he probably figures that you're coming. Well, what was interesting is who kind of tagged along on the mission. And that was the, she, she was kind of like a servant in the group. She was, she was a cook and a bunch of other things, but she was also now the, I guess, fiance of, of, of her son. So there, so there's that. So, of course, she's going to want to go rescue her fiancé, right? But it turns out that she's very, very much more than just a fiancé, just an ordinary girl that just happened to be in the kingdom. No, 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 no. And this is the biggest spoiler I'm going to give you, okay? And this is one that this is a big one. So, if you haven't seen the show yet, this is the part you're going to want to skip over a little bit. So, it turns out that she's Laura Dannon. And yeah, if you know the Willow story, you know that Laura Dannon is basically the the pro, the prophetic ruler. She's the she's you know the prophecy says that she will be the one that guides the kingdom into the future and defeats all evil, so on and so forth. That's that's simplifying it a bit, but that's the gist. Okay, I don't want to get too deep into you know we're not gonna you know pull out a scroll and read it word for word. Okay, so. But they, she she ultimately ends up, you know, and they have to start. That's one of the reasons that Willow tags along. And, and, you know, obviously she's got this big revelation that she has to deal with. And that's part of it, too. So you have the rescue mission. You have this evil that's out there. And you also have the fact that, oh, by the way, Alora Dannon's all grown up. And now she's here. And the person that took care of her when she was younger and saved her now is going to try to train her to be the sorceress, the wizard that we know that she can be. And there's some struggles there. But what's interesting to me is, is that it's this group that gets kind of thrown together. And some of it makes sense. Some of it doesn't. You've got Kit and Jade. They have a very interesting relationship. Let me just put it that way. I don't want to spoil anything about their relationship. I don't think I need to do that. I think you, you kind of get it pretty quickly what's going on between the two of them, or at least how Kit feels. Anyway, let's just put it that way. So I won't spoil that. But Kate, Kit also has problems because she's supposed to marry somebody else. And it's, it's an arranged marriage sort of thing. You know, unite the kingdoms. It's very Game of Thrones. You know, it's just this is something that's supposed to make sense for everybody, except for the fact that these two people didn't even know each other, never mind love each other. But we could do a whole show on arranged marriages probably, right? So we won't go there. But you also have the mystique of Kit's father, of Sorcia. So, so I, I will tell you now that you don't see Val Kilmer in these first couple of episodes. Well, outside of flashbacks anyway. You do see some flashbacks. They do use some footage from the original movie. But I'm not going to go ahead and tell you whether he's in it or not. Because it's only the first two episodes and I can tell you that he's not in them. That doesn't mean he's not in the show at all. I will, I will, I will tell you that much. I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying don't expect to see him in these first couple of episodes. So if you're a Willow fan, I think you're going to be a little bit frustrated in the early going. Because to me, this show started off incredibly slow. And it just felt awkward. It felt out of place. And I mean like the first 10 or 15 minutes of the first episode. 
I'm going, come on. And I'm not just saying, like, I'm not saying that I needed action or anything like that. I just felt like it needed something more. I felt like it needed to be pushed along a little bit faster. And I felt like it kind of could have. I know, I know that you're doing some character development. I think it could have been done faster. Is all I'm saying. I think they could have got to the point a little bit quicker. Because once they do get to the point, that's when things start to pick up. And that's when things start to sort that's when things start to sort of you hit the accelerator a little bit more, right? It's like the difference between being on the on ramp and being on the actual highway. So now you're on the highway. Problem is, does this show know where it's going? Is the GPS engaged or not? And I'm not just talking about this band of misfits trying to figure out where they need to go to rescue Sorsha's son. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is that does this story have a linear path? Because it seems like they want to tell a couple of side stories here and there too. But it really makes the story lose focus at times when they try to do that. And Alora Dannon being a part of this sort completely 100% makes sense. I don't know how you could do this without Alora Dannon. I might have saved that reveal though. I know that you need her to be trained and all that stuff and her magic is important. But remember, they were going to do this without her, right? They were going to do this regardless. Now, whether or not they would have won, who knows? Now, Willow also has been having these dreams and visions and things like that. And that's a part of it as well. But now you have to focus on Alora Dannon's story. So it becomes less about the rescue mission to me and more about Alora Dannon. Is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. But that's not what we started out being in this for, right? So it'll just be interesting to me how they balance the maturation of Laura Dannon with this rescue mission that this team is on in the first place. And, and if Laura will be able to keep her focus because, you know, that, that's, that's her man. That's the man that she loves and she wants to find him. Now she's had this huge responsibility just dropped on her and, you know, unexpectedly. And it doesn't sit well with everybody either. And there's some in the group that don't even believe that she's a Laura Dannon. So you got to deal with that as well. So I, I just think it'll be interesting to see how they focus on both sides of the story. Plus, you know, what this evil is. And, you know, Willow touches on it a little bit, but I don't think we have the all the answers that we need yet. Plus, there's stuff that Kate is struggling with. There's stuff that Jade's struggling with as well. And... It, I don't know that we need to dig deeper into too many of these characters. The adventure itself should be the focus. And I'm that's the thing I'm worried about at this stage is that that's going to start to drift away a little bit. I'm seeing I'm you don't see that too much in these first couple of episodes, but that's my worry. Also the humor that they try to throw in there, it's not always organic and it seems a little bit forced. At times, and I'm not sure you really need a whole lot of that. I mean, if it comes naturally, like it in the movie, like when Val Kilmer brings it, it was natural. It felt organic, and that's one of the reasons why it worked. But some of the some of the other times with some of these other characters, it feels very forced when you're trying to cut, sort of jab the humor in there because you feel like you need to add it. So hopefully, we don't see a ton of that. But I'm I'm fifty fifty. On these first couple of episodes so far. Of course I'm going to keep watching him. I'm a Willow fan. I want to see where this thing's, thing goes. Especially once you know Laura was was revealed. It's like okay. And I really want to find out what happens. 
but there's a lot of not so likable characters in this thing too. There's, you know, the worry that I have that they're going to take the focus off of what they were going to be doing in the first place and and the quest itself. So, I, I don't know. I'm my caution bulb is lit for this one, but I'm still enjoying what I've seen so far of the Willow series. I'm just I'm middle of the road on this one. Maybe we'll check back on this in a couple of episodes and see how I feel. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of the Willow series. Up next, going to keep those reviews rolling and talk about Darby of the Dead from 20th Century Studios, now streaming on Hulu. I'll give you my review of that next on the Dan and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Micronauts, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Not only does she see dead people, she counsels them. The new Hulu movie, Darby and the Dead, which is now streaming from 20th Century Studios. And it's interesting because this movie this movie does follow a character named Darby Harper. Basically, she sees ghosts after suffering a near-death experience when she was a kid. She has some trauma that's attached to that as well. And she has a side business where she kind of counsels local spirits, helps them move on, sort of thing like that. I'm not going to do really any spoilers for this since it just dropped. Don't want to ruin it for you. But what we do get is that, and what you kind of think this might be on the surface. If you've seen the trailer or you're just looking at on this on the surface, you're thinking, okay, teen movie, going to be kind of lame with some lame humor thrown in there and, you know, a lot of tropes, this, that, and the other thing, and maybe some ghostly tropes and things like that. And there is a little bit of that, but this movie is more adult or at least older teen than you think because you're talking about high school seniors and juniors here, and that is certainly the audience that I think that this movie is pandering to. And... uh, the language that I, and I'm, hey, I'm not a prude. I'm not here telling you that the language is horrible. No, because you've certainly heard it from me on this show. What I'm trying to tell you is that I was surprised when I heard, hey, bitch. I'm like, oh, so this is not the kind of teen movie that I expected. We're going to kick it up a notch. All right. Now, there, we do see some death scenes in here, and they're not gruesome. They're not brutal. It's not like we're going there. But what we're getting is a... Almost an almost realistic depiction of how social media is influencing society and things like that. And it does get a little bit deep in that regard and how it can change you and how motivations can change based on social media fandom and things like that. I think that it's an interesting side plot of this movie. And you've, you have Darby and you're going to see different versions of Darby in this movie and Riley Downs actually I think does a really good job of portraying this character but I gotta tell you and I hope I say her name right because she does really good in this movie Auli Carvajalo who plays Capri boy you're gonna love her you're gonna hate her then you're gonna love her again then you're gonna hate her again and she is like the mean girl she plays the mean girl so well but then you also see different sides of her too, and you find out something about her and Darby that makes things a little bit more interesting. And she might annoy the hell out of you for 75% of this movie. But peel the onion is all I'm saying. All I'm saying is there's, there's more to it than that. And there's actually something that Capri could do that makes things also a little bit extra in- interesting. But you have to be invested in the character of Darby 
to care about this movie. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. If you are not invested in Darby's story and where it's going, then it's going to be this movie is going to be a tough sell for you. But I, I think that you, there's a pretty good chance that that's not going to be a problem. It re- there really isn't a whole lot of uniqueness to the whole I see dead people thing. You've, you've seen it before. You've seen the things that can happen because of it. She treats it differently, though. There's a little bit more of a level of respect that Darby brings to this than you would typically see in like a folly-filled, you know, I see dead people kind of situation. And it's not like a super dark, super deep interpretation either. It's more of a character development type story and watching these characters change and sometimes grow and sometimes, you know, go the other direction too, all because of a certain social construct and social media as well. So there's some commentary there. It's not preachy, but it's 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 it'll make you think. I believe it will anyway. The character work is pretty good. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is it annoying at times? Hell yeah. It's annoying at times. But I think it finishes well. I think it seems true to life in a lot of different respects, more true than maybe some people would like to admit. Plus, then you also see how, you know, Darby affects so many people's lives at the same time, especially what she's doing with these ghosts. There's also a lot of third wall breaking in this thing. You're going to get a lot of Darby talking to you, talking to the talking to the viewer. So there's it's not Deadpool-esque. It's basically narration for the sake of, you know, pushing the story forward. So there's not necessarily a lot of like humor attached to it or anything like that. And it, it does. It comes pretty naturally, though, which I, I do love. It doesn't seem like it's thrown in there for the sake of throwing it in there. Plus, you're going to see some familiar faces. You're going to see Tony Danza. You're going to see Wayne Knight. You're going to see Nicole Maines, who plays one of the Mean Girl crew. Although I will say that her character of Piper is probably the least mean of the mean crew. And, and there's there's a little bit more to Piper. Piper's kind of not afraid to say what Piper's thinking and, and break away from the groupthink mentality, which is pretty refreshing in a certain sense. And it comes just randomly, which I I, I, I really enjoyed as well. There's There's also a deep family story that's involved here. So this thing might get a little deeper. Then you think, but don't think that it's super deep either. And just what the, the, the back and forth between Darby and Capri is very, very entertaining. At least it was for me. But again, it's one of those things that can also get annoying at times. So just be ready for that. Is this a movie that I think a lot of adults would enjoy? Eh, I don't know if I'd go there. Young adults, I think you can, there's certainly some interest there. Even a younger crowd, I think, can handle this as well. So if you're talking about young teen years, I think that that this will speak to them as well. But it's something that you could certainly have fun with if you go into it with an open mind and don't go into it with a huge lot of expectations because I don't think it's going to be fair for a movie that has a, it's a pretty simple storyline to follow and and I think that it didn't blow me away there are parts of it I, I definitely enjoyed there were some really nice heartfelt moments in this as well so yeah I definitely think it's worth a stream if you want to check this out with the family Darby and the dead 
now streaming on Hulu from 20th Century Studios. That's going to do from our view of Darby and the Dead. Up next, between connected universes and all the trailers that dropped this week, there's some fun nerd news to talk about, so let's get to it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cameron Johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's all connected, making a connection once again. It's time for nerd news, and this time, talking about DC being connected because, of course, you know, James Gunn and Peter Safran going to be a part of the new DC Universe, which is going to be kind of, you know, the next step in DC TV and film and animation. And some fans were doing a little Q&A with James Gunn on Twitter, as a matter of fact. And he basically said that the DCU will be connected across film, TV, and animation. And he even went on to say some games would be connected as well. Now, I want to go on to say that he also said later on that certain things will, you know, stand alone outside of this universe. We've seen that, of course, in the past with stuff like Joker and Harley, the Harley Quinn animated series and the Batman and, th- and things like that. So those things will still exist. But the bottom line here and the thing to really look at here is the connected universe that these things are going to share. Now that means there could be a lot of changes that are going to be coming if you want to really think about it. I mean, especially like if you're an Arrowverse fan and we've got something very special to do with the Arrowverse coming up on the podcast next week. So I'm not, I'm not letting it go. I mean, it's certainly part of DC TV history, but if you think about it, how does the Arrowverse continue? If what James Gunn said is true, and I'm not sure they'd want an entire universe standing alone right outside of the continuity, because, you know, having a movie or two every now and then or a certain set story like the Batman be set in a different universe that that's or or sets or standalone. That's fine, I think. But I don't see something like the Arrowverse existing and being able to sustain if they're doing this connected universe. And you know how I feel about the connected universe. You've heard me talk about this with Marvel over the years. There's just one little hiccup can completely bite your schedule in the ass. It makes you have to shove a lot of stuff violently forward because of one thing going wrong. And I'm not a huge fan of that. So that's one thing. that is spe- And we learned that in the pandemic, didn't we? We certainly learned that. During the pandemic, like certain stuff that was already completed couldn't be released because of something that wasn't completed yet and and had to still be finished and couldn't. So now I gr- granted those are extenuating circumstances. That's not something that's going to happen all the time. Right. Right. Hopefully not. But it's just it's just an example of how one thing can screw up a lot of other things when you have stuff that's connected like this. So it worries me a little bit that they're doing that. The other thing that worries me is when he says and animation, TV and movies being connected, that doesn't bother me as much. But when you throw animation in there, I'm not saying you shouldn't have anything connected, but having it all be connected. Because if you think about what DC animation has done with their movies, they've had some great, great movies. Now, there's been a connected universe in that realm before. And that worked out. You know, we had Justice League Dark that kind of concluded that film epic as far as the animation side's concerned, and they kind of opened up to more standalone stuff recently. But to bring that animation world and connect it to the DC Universe, it could either be a really good thing 
or it could be a really bad thing. Now, James Gunn also did go on to say that he's going to have more TV shows centered around different DC characters to sort of expand the universe a little bit more. That I'm all for. Getting a little bit of variety out of your characters and getting a little bit more variety out of your TV, I don't think is a bad idea at all. Especially when you can do shows that could be like a one-off, like a standalone one-season or a couple of seasons, and you see if how the character works out. If they work out, you expand it more. If they don't, hey, you got one season of TV out of it or two, and no harm, no foul, right? You're not spending the money on a big-budget movie, depending on the character. So I think that that's a smart thing to do, and, I, and I'm always saying that you need to get more characters out there. So I'm glad that they're doing that. I don't know how far they're going to stretch it. I don't know that we're going to get a ton of major characters that are going to get their own series. I think that they will, they'll try some fringe characters for sure. But like if you're looking at a character like Dr. Fate from Black Adam, I think everybody wants more Dr. Fate after seeing what Pierce Brosnan did. So what do you do with that? Do you use Pierce Brosnan again? Do you do like more of a prequel for that Dr. Fate character and cast somebody else in that role as a younger Dr. Fate? I mean, I guess you could do that. You wouldn't necessarily have to cast anybody if you keep the helmet on though, right? You could always use the voice whenever you wanted and just it's kind of like the whole Mandalorian thing right Pedro Pascal doesn't need to be under the suit he just needs to do the voice and the rest is history right if you don't take off the helmet and there's no harm no foul but that's just one example right of something that you could do even though we've already seen that character I'm just a little concerned about how this is going to go I have faith in James Gunn and Peter Safran I've already said that on the podcast before but I just don't want the specialness that it was the DC animated a- animated movie universe to go away. I don't want some of these special side projects to necessarily go away. And I'm just worried about the hiccups, especially when you look at the disaster that has been the lead up to this Flash movie. I don't want to see something like that possibly derail an entire universe, right? So, again... Open mind. Let's see where it goes. The DC universe is something I think we can be very excited about with this new leadership. But again, I think there's also reason to be a little bit concerned as well. But, you know, again, have got to have the faith, right? Speaking of James Gunn, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 trailer just dropped at Comic-Con Experience Brazil, which is going on this weekend. We know that movie is going to be coming out on May the 5th of 2023. And it seems like every Guardians of the Galaxy movie has gotten more emotionally charged as we go, right? We saw the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Now we know that, spoiler alert, that Star-Lord and Mantis are related. They're brother and sister. So that's that was a cool, you know, kind of heartfelt revelation from the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Now we carry that into this third volume of this movie, and it's like a one last ride for the Guardians. That's kind of what it's being billed as. But we're also, Mantis says something in the trailer. She says, never forget where we came from. And it looks like we're going to get some of that backstory, especially with Rocket, which is something that fans have been clamoring for, including myself, getting a little bit more of a backstory on Rocket. But that also is making me worry about Rocket, and I could see on social media that I'm not alone. Because it looks like we might lose Rocket in this one. And that bothers me. Because, you know, Rocket has always been this larger-than-life, ironically so, larger-than-life personality of that group that has a lot of personality and just for for some reason, it almost seems like he's almost been the glue in a weird way to this group. And you see how emotional he gets over Groot. Like when we thought Groot died, you saw how much 
how badly Rocket took that. And that was a different side of Rocket that we saw at the time. And ever since then, we've seen more and more of that. Now, if you lose Rocket, what happens? And it looks like there's going to be some really emotional stuff that happens in this movie, but a hell of a lot of action too, right? We're going to see it looks like the Guardians going all over the universe. And I will say that the first look that we got at Will Poulter's Adam Warlock looks pretty good to me. I was happy with what I saw and how large of a role he's going to play in this movie, I think, remains to be seen. But I think what this is really going to do is be the culmination of this Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy or what's going to end up being a trilogy, it seems like, anyway. And yeah, it looks like this will probably be the last time we see this group of characters all together, especially with Zoe Zaldana's latest comments saying that she's kind of felt, you know, not necessarily, I don't remember what the word was exactly. I don't know if it was trapped or whatever, but she's kind of felt like she's been stuck just doing movies and franchises and, and things like that. And, you know, maybe she wants to expand out of that. And I know that they killed her off many moons ago, but it, has, it hasn't stopped her from being a part of these franchises anyway. We certainly see her. We certainly see Gamora in this trailer. So it's it remains to be seen exactly where they're going to go with this third Guardians of the Galaxy movie. But there's also certainly plenty of fun that's been had in this trailer as well. But when you talk about any sort of last ride scenario, we know that Dave Batista is not going to be back as Drax. So it, it's either going to be the sadness of if we lose some of these characters or it's going to be the sadness of just watching them all go their separate ways. And either way, I'd bring a box of tissues on May the 5th with you just in case. You know, like one of those little pouches that you can get the travel size section at the store. Because I think that a few tears might be shed during Guardians of the Galaxy, and Vol- Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 this May. We're getting a little digital de-age on the Indiana Jones movie that's going to be coming up on June the 30th. And the trailer for that that we finally got reveals the title that it's going to be Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, Indy's in full professor mode, as you can see in this trailer. And he's sort of like moved on from the globe-trotting lifestyle, as you can see, or not, because it seems like he gets pulled back into this thing. And he talks about, you know, not believing in magic, but also saying things that he can't explain. And then you see this, what looks like, with the namesake of the movie, The Dial of Destiny, you see this dial, right? And one of the two things is going to happen. We're either going to get flashbacks that sort of show Indy experiencing certain things that he can't explain and things about maybe, you know, run-ins with this Dial of Destiny in the past, or this dial is going to create some sort of like a time travel scenario and we're going to be kind of all over the place a little bit as far as the timeline is concerned. And it looks like there's going to be, obviously, there had to be a little bit of magic involved in this, right, if that's going to be the case. But again, no synopsis officially released for this movie. It seems like there's going to be a lot of interesting things happening. And the digital de-aged Harrison Ford as Andy looks fine to me. I don't know if it's going to be something they're going to lean on too heavily, but it feels like an Indiana Jones movie. And that's one of the things that you always worry about when you're going into something like this, right, is does it feel like an Indiana Jones movie. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull didn't feel like an indie movie to me. Like from the get-go, even in the trailers and stuff, you're going, yeah, it's Indiana Jones, but the vibe just doesn't feel there. Dial of Destiny in this first trailer at least tells me one thing is that the vibe, the indie vibe seems to be back into this thing. And I would credit James Mangold for that right away. So is this something that we're going to be excited about? Yeah, is this something that's going to end up working out great? Don't know based on this first trailer, and you really can't tell a whole lot 
from trailers anyway, but the vibe is certainly there. It seems like they're getting all of the right pieces back in place to try and make this successful, and we'll have to see where it goes from there. Another amazing trailer that we got this week was for the Beast Wars. Well, not necessarily Beast Wars. It's Transformers Rise of the Beast coming from Paramount on June the 9th of 2023. And yeah, we get to see the Maximals in this. You get to see Optimus Primal and some of his buddies meeting Optimus Prime and sort of doing the whole there is a darkness coming sort of thing. And that's a trope that's used very, very often. And you know, the the Predacons are going to be probably a part of this. And that's what the darkness is. And, you know, Optimus basically says, bring it, right? And what you're doing is you're introducing new human characters. And I, you've, you've listened to this show for a while. You know that I've said, enough with the humans. Let's let the robots do their thing. We don't need humans to be a part of this. And just let it go. Well, we're still doing that. And I'm not saying it's not going to be fun at times. But... I really hope that that's not even kind of the focus of this movie because you're getting the Autobots and the Maximals that are going to be joining up together in battle. And I think that's an amazing thing. I like that if you're if you're a Beast Wars fan, I think you've got to be happy with the character designs that you saw in this trailer because they look pretty spot on to me. If you now, I was never a huge Beast Wars guy. It's not like I didn't watch it, but I was never a huge Beast Wars guy. But in live action, this is something I think could really worked out, work out really well. And certainly the look is absolutely 100% there. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe riding the ship of the Transformers movie franchises here with Rise of the Beasts. This June, I'm going into it with an open mind, the last Transformers movie. Now, I'm not talking about Bumblebee, I'm talking about The Last Kingdom was a dumpster fire and a half. So I'm really hoping that this is the one that kind of gets us back on track for the future because I love Transformers so much and I hate dumping on these movies all the time. And and justifiably so. I'm really hoping that this one is the one that works out for the best. I also want to talk really quickly about the new Super Mario Brothers movie trailer that dropped. This is the second trailer from the upcoming Illumination movie. And we get to see more characters. We get to see Donkey Kong. It's going to be a part of this. We get to see, finally get to see the princess that's in this as well. And I'm still, I'm not here for the complaints about the princess already, right? I'm just not. Okay? Deal with it. Just deal with it. And you, you have to understand that there's going to be a subsection of fans that were never going to give this movie a chance and still won't, regardless. Don't give them the time of day. If you're going into this with an open mind, you got somebody dumping on you for it, don't listen to them, okay? If you want to give this movie a chance and think that it can be fun and think that it can be great, then go into it with that attitude. We also get to see more of Luigi in this. We get a little bit more Bowser. We get a little bit more of the scope of what this movie's going to be about. We see, we even see there's some Mario Kart action that gets thrown in there as well. And this doesn't necessarily feel like a nostalgia grab to me. Parts of it does, but it also kind of feels like they're trying to make a unique movie based on this character and kind of spin things a little bit different and not make it just seem like you're taking one of the games and throwing it on the screen because that just doesn't work for video game movies. So you're going to go outside of things just a little bit, approach it a little bit differently, and put that Illumination flavor on it 
and see what happens. And I think that Illumination's more than proven their worth over the years of being able to tell good stories. They just happen to be using one of the most recognizable IPs in history to be able to do it. And that's a tall order. That is a tall task, not just because of the fans, but because, you know, there's a lot that can go wrong when you do something like that. But I really think that out of these first couple of trailers, you're seeing progression for the story and what kind of characters that we're going to see and what the vibe is going to be. And I, I'm more and more confident the more and more I see about Super Mario Brothers movies. So hopefully next year we'll find out that that turns out to be true. Really quickly, I want to touch on this. IDW just announced six television projects that are going to be in development. Not doesn't necessarily say where they're going to air or anything like this, but I want to just run down the titles. Here. Back, Bacchus is going to be one of them. Dragon Puncher and Spoonie going to be another. Corgi is going to be one. Lodger is another. Relic of the Dragon and Satellite Falling will be another one as well. Now, if I, if I went ahead and read all these synopses to you, then I, we could be here all day, and, and we don't need to take that much time to do that. But, I, but I, if I'm going to point out a couple of these, I actually think that crime, the crime noir vibe of Lodger, I think, has a really, chance, a really good chance to be a good one. It's based on the graphic novel from IDW and David and Maria Lampham. And this is going to be show run, by the way, by Max and Adam Reed. Too. So it's a grimy thriller. It's a bit of a cat and mouse game too. So I think that this one has a chance to be successful. And if we're looking at you know the fantasy realm, then you look at Relic of the Dragon. I think that that's another one that's based on the gra graphic novel from Adrian Benatar and Miguel Angel Garcia. So you know you get that that action adventure realm as well. I think that that's another one that I look at that has a lot of potential too. I mean, all of these really have a chance of being su successful, but it's kind of about time that IDW just kind of got out of their own way and started trying to do some of this stuff. They're in the business of publishing comics and great comic book stories. That is not up for debate, okay? That is something that we already know, and we don't want them to stray away from that, but at the same time, it's only natural in today's day and age that we as fans want to see these stories finally brought to life. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to sit here patiently waiting for Kanto until I can't wait anymore. And I know that we're going to be getting that, but IDW's told some good stories over the years and they are way behind in adapting those movies to screen the, these stories to screen. So I'm glad that we're finally getting a little bit more of a push from that. And maybe this is something that can actually help save IDW as a whole as they've been struggling over the years. So fingers crossed for some good stuff coming from them. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Dan and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the wonderful people at Realm for helping set up that roundtable this week. Hopefully you're enjoying that. we got more of those to come. Also, make sure you go to our website, danandnerdypodcast.com. going to try and revamp that a little bit here coming up. Follow along on social media at danandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram. At Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Appreciate all of your support on those platforms. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. 
Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.